Hello and welcome to the Refugees and Host Communities News Podcast from north of Uganda, an area that is home to about 1 million South Sudanese refugees and asylum seekers. I am Winnie Serino and in today's episode... Many refugees, especially from South Sudan, have married from their hosts and vice versa. But many of such intermarriages are frequently failing. Middle-aged woman Stella Tabu thinks she knows why. Their dressing has difference with ours. When I put on a short dress, they called me a prostitute. That and many more coming shortly, but first, these are our main stories making the news across refugee hosting districts, especially in the north of Uganda, with Jackie. Thank you, Winnie. Did you know that unless if one fulfills the obligations expected of them as a refugee, they could lose their status quite easily? In this episode, the Refugee Desk Officer Solomon Osakan will be explaining to our reporter circumstances under which one could cease being a refugee. We bring 75-year-old John Joe Riot, a refugee in Rhino Camp Settlement, who wants to stay in Uganda for the rest of his entire life due to a livelihood he worked so hard to achieve. HIV-AIDS patients are suffering silently and COVID is partly to blame. Experts believe effects of COVID-19 have put adverse effects on refugee HIV-AIDS patients, something that could cause even more deaths related to the scourge. This is the Refugees Plus Host Communities News Podcast from north of Uganda. Once again, welcome to this episode, and now this is our news in details. Uganda is internationally praised as a role model on refugee policy. According to the Refugee Act 2006, refugees living in Uganda are entitled to many freedoms compared to those in other countries around the world. For example, refugees in Uganda have freedom to movement, start livelihoods, among other things. This means there's nearly no line between refugee and host communities, usually living side by side. Individuals from both communities socialize quite easily. Many have even married from each other's community. But many of such intermarriages are frequently failing. Middle-aged woman Stella Tabu thinks she knows why. Their dressing has difference with ours. When I put on a short dress, they called me a prostitute. Stella's marriage failed recently, as she thinks there can hardly be successful one. Juruga Samuel investigated and sent us this report. This noise you are hearing behind me is of people trying to resolve a conflict in a friendly manner. But at times, such dialogue and arguments get heated. Nowadays, such dialogues are mostly organized to try to bring couples together again. Dialogues are usually trying to mend intimacies of couples with spouses coming from either side. There is a general prejudice in BDPD suggesting such intimate relationships between South Sudanese refugees and their hosts cannot last. Tabu Stella recently left home, she called her own, for the past three years. She blames both her parents as well as her partner's relatives for being not flexible at all. She says she explored all options in order to keep her marriage, but she couldn't get it through, Stella explained. <laughs> 
The marriage I had with this Logwara man has been stressful. There are things that we Sudanese don't do, but here we do them. Like when I cooked food, I expected to sit up and eat, but here they make us sit to eat jointly even with my father-in-law. And now I have to change to Islam and my religion doesn't do that. Their dressing has difference with ours. When I put on a short dress, they called me a prostitute. Leaders say, apart from religious differences, culture is another thing. Lelego Ali is a local council chairperson of a community within Bidibidi community of hosts and thinks young men and women are just not patient enough. Ali is optimistic if given chance, such relationships could be healthy and thrive. Uh, I know it takes quite some time to bring all these into a common understanding, but when they happen, all we can do at our capacity is to advise the two parties involved to live in harmony. I'm hopeful things will change, but we need time. Even though many believe that due to religious difference between refugee and host communities, majority of such affections will not survive through the second year and that they will completely fail. Ali is hopeful. Without giving details, Ali says in order to beat all the challenges of the couples, especially refugee and nationals will begin to understand that religion is not reason enough to cause marriages fall apart. It is important to note that the problem of failing marriages is only widespread in communities of predominantly South Sudanese refugees who were settled in Islamic-dominated communities. There are roughly 23.8 million infected persons in all of Africa. Now, that number is 69% of 34 million HIV-positive people worldwide. In Africa and refugee-hosting region of northern Uganda, coronavirus pandemic has overshadowed seemingly chronic HIV-AIDS pandemic that hit Africa over three decades ago. HIV-AIDS patients are suffering silently and COVID is partly to blame. Experts believe effects of COVID-19 have put adverse effects on refugee HIV-AIDS patients, something that could cause even more deaths related to the scourge. They say only one-third of them turn up for their periodic health care appointments, usually when they collect their antiretroviral drugs that boost their immune systems to prolong their life. Mary Monday reports. The director for Arua Referral Hospital, West Nile, Bilbert Nyaku, revealed the HIV-AIDS patients who do not turn up for their health care appointments. He says the number is overwhelmingly increasing. Nyaku says that at this stage, government, angels and all other partners need to treat the situation with utmost agents. We had an appointment of 170 people, 120 did not show up. These 120 HIV patients who did not show up are going to eventually develop resistance. We have to upscale them to another level of treatment which is much more costly. Then some people start now get AIDS proper and this is going to be a threat. I don't have a solution for this honestly but we need to craft out how do we help our chronically ill person to access medical services wherever they are. Individuals from both refugees and host communities that are suffering from HIV-AIDS could have several years added to their lives if they followed their appointment correctly, according to Nyaku. 
Since the first cases of HIV were reported more than 35 years ago, 78 million people have become infected with HIV and 35 million have died from AIDS-related illness, according to UNAIDS. For more than three decades, communities in Africa are still sigh about the disease. This has been one of the most serious causes of death and new infection, according to health experts. The advice that we do give to people is that thing uh, let them also come and test because it's uh, important. I want to know his or high status so that uh, he can at least live a better life. There will be testing so that uh, give them a feeling if they have, then they, their health is okay. Stigma related to HIV-AIDS is still one of the major stumbling blocks towards averting the increasing cases of the disease. According to Remo, and the stigma is so prevalent in Africa's communities, including Bidibidi refugee settlement where he works. Coupled with the effects of COVID-19, the number of people who come for testing, and more so those coming to collect their antiretroviral drugs, are decreasing every day. We are likely to see more deaths in and around the BDPD in Africa as a whole due to HIV-AIDS related illness soon. Remo warned refugees in the settlement. He encourages both refugees and the host communities to scale up their efforts to fight HIV-AIDS as the youths are few and the rate of infection among them is very high. Few number of youths willingly turn up for HIV testing at the health center keeping the community at risk. Stigmatization is high among them. They don't want to visit the health center for testing. A South Sudanese woman who preferred to be anonymous with concerted effort in combating her life in filling her medicine in the healthy facility who is living positively for more than 30 years now elaborated out things that made her maintained her alive. I've lived with HIV now, this is 31 years, living positively. But the first thing, it wasn't easy. The thing which made me to come up to this end is acceptance and joining a support group, coming out open and the fearing of God. These were my efforts. And it was through good friend who made me to come out, but it was not easy. The reason why it wasn't easy is uh, we were 12 from my mother. They died all. I'm the only one left. So that one made me not to feel, in fact, just to dig a hole so that I pack myself in the grave like this. AIDS is a set of symptoms caused by HIV virus affecting the immune system that help to fight off infection in the body. Once the infection in on advanced stage and left in treated leads to death. Did you know some South Sudan refugees who fled their country's violent conflict came along with few of their animals into Uganda where they sought safety? Just like 75-year-old John Joku Riot, some people have sought refuge in Uganda more than once. Many of them have established their livelihoods and now feel attached to Uganda more than their native country, South Sudan. Hafiz Bakit caught up with the 75-year-old Quiriot who arrived in Uganda over decades. He says he's comfortable staying in Rhino Camp Settlement for the rest of his life for as long as South Sudan remains unstable. But more so, Quiriot believes his life is stable and wouldn't want to disrupt it. He has establishments that are so important to him 
and that he cannot afford to leave such things he has worked hard for to achieve behind. Take a listen. Middle-aged Taban James sought refuge here since his country, South Sudan, relapsed into violent conflict in 2013. Taban is frequent commuter between Rhino Camp Settlement of Refugees and nearby town, which is about two hours away. He says the Kral saves him a big deal of his valuable time, especially when he's away doing other businesses in town. The place here is safe. Uh, besides, if you are taken up by uh, actually uh, something where you just uh, inform uh, the old man, you give him some money uh, so that he takes care of uh, the animal. I went until the time you come back. So this has made uh, easy for us to own animals too. Uh, like me, I operate between uh, the camp and uh, Arua town. So I could not manage taking care of these animals. Through a translator who I later learned is part of Quirot's big family, the old man was quick to introduce himself to me as soon as I stepped into the kraal. As soon as I stepped in, the animals arrived. <coughs> It is a type of kraal hardly seen here in Uganda. The smoke and the rising ashes blocked by the wind inside this very large kraal situated in Urubuan refugee cluster in Rhino Camp settlement is typical of the practice of cattle keepers from Jonglei state in South Sudan. As I approach the kraal, an elderly man who cut a figure of a hard-working man was busy fixing pegs as time first approached to welcome the herds of cattle back into the kraals from the various grazing locations. It is here that a 75-year-old refugee set up a large kraal for cattle, a thing that him and his tribemen, the Dinka Boar of Jonglei State, are best known for. The elderly refugee who has lived in Uganda since 1997 was quick to introduce himself as John Joy Quirot as he welcomed me in his native Dinka or Jian language. Okay, my name is John John, John Quirot. Baba, Rinja John, Baba, John this 75-year-old Quirot Skrull is known as Live Bank, where many people subscribe or entrust the animals to for custody. Every single subscriber pays a fee for having his or her animals taken care of. There are cows, few bulls, sheep and few goats. They belong to various individuals of both refugee and host communities. Even the chairperson of South Sudanese Refugee Association, Lueth John Bior, in Odobu zone of Rhino Camp, is a subscriber to the kraal. His own cows are here too. Like the chairperson, many refugees and some individuals of the host community believe keeping their animals in one place guarantees safety from thieves. But above all, the kraal is beneficial, especially to permanent subscribers, as Bior explained. Example of someone called Michael Atemagot, who had cattle here, 
since uh, 1998, and he has started up to master level. He's now going to pursue his PhD in the UK. But all that success was brought by these cows. Now she has improved his life, his children, some of other relatives. He's, he's, he's actually paying their education in, in Arua and Kampala. Such appreciations are due to the fact that the old man, Kyorot, has turned his abilities of cattle keeping. His skills have earned him and his family all basic needs with ease. In this rhino camp settlement, he is well known for traditionally being a pro as far as taking care of animals, especially cattle, is concerned. Currently, he is enjoying the monopoly, with clients coming as far as a couple of miles away. In Quirot's custody, there are animals that are owned by individuals within the hosting communities too. When he was starting out his venture, just out of passion for animals, in 1997, Quirot had a strategy which finally worked. I bought goats with money I raised through cultivation. Then later exchanged the goats with cow and expanded this corral. Has greatly helped me to afford the basic family needs and pay my children who are now studying in good Ugandan schools instead of relying on handouts and support from UNHCR, which sometimes are not easy to get. It is not only me benefiting from this corral. The entire community now keeps their cattle here for their safety and pay me money, apart from the meat and milk which provides diet to the refugee community. The money they get from sale of the milk and meat from animals kept in this corral has also helped provide them alternative of survival. After being displaced from his native country of South Sudan, a couple of times, elderly Quirot has established his kraal in Rhino Camp refugee settlement since 1997, and his clients have gradually gained confidence in him over the years. For now, Quirot is the only refugee here who has nearly professionalized his natural abilities of cattle keeping. As a refugee, do you know your rights? Hmm, you may. Or you may not. Clear your doubts by listening to expert conversations and interviews as they break down refugee rights and responsibility. In recent times, millions of people, majorly from South Sudan, Ethiopia, Burundi, Rwanda, Somalia, as well as DR Congo, fled their countries entering Uganda. Such individuals who sought safety in the country quickly attained refugee statuses, making Uganda the largest host refugees and asylum seekers in the region. Now, did you know that unless if one fulfills the obligations expected of them as a refugee, they could lose their status quite easily? In this episode, the refugee desk officer Solomon Osakan explains to our reporter Atim Pamela circumstances under which one could cease being a refugee. Take a listen. If you go back home, you repatriate due to voluntary repatriation, you cease being called a refugee. The other one is, let's say you acquire nationality of another country and that country does not have any factors uh, like fear of persecution that are affecting you, then you would cease to be a refugee. And the other factor is the application of the cessation clause. That means if you fled your country because there was civil war or there was massive persecution and now 
international community and the media and everybody says this country is peaceful, then you have to return to that country and cease being a refugee. Uh, there are also people who have committed crimes against humanity, crimes against the principle of the United Nations and the OAU. Those persons will cease to become refugees because uh, under international law they have violated human rights seriously. Sometimes also there are persons who are receiving assistance from the United Nations already. On the issue of uh, returning to their country, do they go through a specific process or one just decides today I want to go back to my country and it is done? Apparently in our settlements, people just wake up and go back to their countries of origin. You can imagine someone crossing to South Sudan. The country is still in a dilemma, in a state of civil war. So by the time he crosses the border, you could say that that person has ceased to be a refugee. But if he goes there and, and he comes back running again, if in our database we have not closed his, his details, that person will continue to be a refugee. And if it is closed, then he has to seek asylum again through a new procedure, and then he's granted status. You mentioned something that uh, if the person just moves away and then comes back, and their records are still with you, then they carry on from there. But assuming their records are closed, so how many times can such a person be accepted to register if at all they are to register again as refugees? It depends on the circumstances in the country of origin. What happens here? Most refugees don't give up their refugee status. They just rush. Some of them always claim that they left food there. They pick their food, they come back. That's why they are, there is a frequency of movements across the borders. So given the factors you have mentioned, do all these factors apply to children? Yes, children also are victims. There are groups of children we call unaccompanied minors. There are those which have like uh, family-headed groups and uh, when they come here we normally foster them with another family to look after them and groom them to develop and become useful adults. But I think there, there are a few children who also sometimes sneak uh, back to go and look for their parents inside South Sudan. There are a few cases but they are not so common let alone those who are returning to South Sudan, are there those that you have uh, deregistered because of other factors that you earlier on mentioned, like crimes against humanity, the stateless people and all that? Crimes against humanity, normally you, some information has to be given to us, and uh, when it is proven, those people are deregistered. We have had a, a few in Uganda, I think those days of the the genocide in Rwanda. People came from Rwanda and changed their names and registered different names in Uganda. But uh, once uh, the tribunal was formed in Arusha, uh, the International Tribunal Against Crimes of Humanity, and uh, I think some refugees volunteered to say this person was involved in genocide. And so those people ceased to be refugees. Some of them were taken before the International Tribunal and charged for the crimes they have committed. Uh, it's normally a sort of very confidential information. Uh, in the case of South Sudan, I haven't uh, 
received that information, but if uh, it exists, such people can be handled. That's all I had for you from Uganda, but keep listening for more stories coming shortly from neighboring South Sudan. Winnie is in the country's capital, Juba. Thanks, Chucky. Now moving on in South Sudan, I start in eastern region of the country. Returnees and the local communities in eastern Equatorial state are raising concerns over poor health services with inadequate medication and lack of ambulances to refer patients to the main hospital. The returnees are calling for more support in the health sector to get proper treatment. Daniel Garang reports from Torit. Jacqueline Achola, a returnee in Magui County, says the returnees are facing challenges of lack of proper medication. She says when the patients go to the public hospital, they are often referred to the private clinics. We are going to government hospital. They told us that they don't have the medicine. Maybe they are going to give for you Panadol and Amoxicillin, and then they write for you. You go and buy from clinic. Anna Eliga, another returnee whose child is admitted at the Turit State Hospital, says her child was not given any medication since they were admitted. She doubts the services of the hospital. What pains so much is what everybody knows. This hospital is not accurate, my people. There are no medicines. Even testing to know which sickness is the child suffering from is not accurate, and this is what is torturing people in this hospital. Last week, some community members from Kudo area of Torid West raised concern over men, women, and children sharing one small ward when admitted. Wilson Auro, a health official at the primary health care unit in Kudo, admits the health center as a small space to administer patients. We have one inpatient, six by four. The beds which are existing are six beds. They are not enough because we need uh, mothers, children, uh, old men, all the category of all the classes, they are all in one ward. Pio Osete, the chief of Lobira Payam in Turid East, raises concern over lack of ambulance in his area. He says the community people hardly succeed in repairing patients to hospitals that are far from the community. We are suffering like us in Lobira. We carry sick people and pregnant mothers who want to give birth using our heads up to Isohe, a distance of four hours on foot. Lope Joseph, county health officer in Kwato County, says the few ambulances in the community are not working anymore. We have problem with the referral from the facilities because the current ambulance we have are all grounded. They are not functional. So it will become difficult to do the referrals, especially those areas which are far from the hospital. In Lopa Lapon County, patients are said to be carried using tractors because of poor roads. Moses Wutong, a clinical officer at Lapon Primary Health Care Unit, says the tractor, however, is no more. We normally face a lot of challenges to ensure repairing the patient to the Torito State Hospital. We were using the tractor, but the tractor is also down. The trail is not there now. The trail has been got broken last year. Up to now, there is no mean of it. The chairperson of the Eastern Equatorial Civil Society Network and the executive director of Fisling Foundation, Mr. Charles Okulu, who is engaged in returnees affairs, especially on livelihood activities, says some people even die as the result of no health facilities in the villages, coupling with bad roads, but explained that his organization is not working on health currently, however, is collecting the data and needs of the returnees to share with the partners.
What we do is to get the general needs of the returnees and then we share with partners because there are partners who work on health. So we get in touch with all those partners so that we share with them the actual information about the returnees. In response to all this situation, the Director General at the State Ministry of Health, Dr. Elijo Omoro Tahir, says the ministry is not ready to help the situation because of the lack of resources, citing economic hardship. It is a common issue given the present uh, economic situation we are in. We as a ministry are not in a position to be able to do anything at the moment. This is the truth of the matter, and I think people have to understand this. We don't have the resources. Elijo calls on the communities and international partners to support the health sectors in Torid with the necessary health equipment to easily provide medication to the community people. I'm Daniel Garang, reporting from Torid, South Sudan. Thank you, Garang. And staying in South Sudan, residents of Moli area of Pagari Payam in the Madi Corridor are calling on the government and developmental partners to renovate the schools within the Moli areas to prepare sufficient learning space for the school-going children who are returning from the camps. The call came during a community gathering in Moli when the community members had gathered to clear bushes to prepare for the return of the refugees. James Arusi has more. Hundreds of community people from Madi Kordu confined in Moli residential area last Saturday to clean the premises of several schools, hoping schools will open immediately when the refugees return to their hometowns. Gilgori Wani, Secretary General of the Madi community, urges the government to repair the school structures and the teachers' quarters that were destroyed during the war. There will be need for the National Ministry of General Education, together with the partners, to rehabilitate the, the school completely and also furnish it, including the teachers' quarter, which has been vandalized, and some of the doors and windows of the school also are vandalized. Emilio Galma, former commissioner of Pagiri administration, says for the schools to open, the government will need to provide scholastic materials to allow the school-going children to resume an educational program in the area. Now for us to be able to open the schools, we need, of course, the buildings of the, of the schools to be renovated. We need the teaching materials to be availed. We need the desks and so many others. And definitely this as a community we shall not be able to accomplish. Therefore we need the government to come in, we need uh, organizations that usually help the education section to come in so that we shall be able to uh, give the opportunity to our children to start schools as soon as possible. In 2013 and 2016, during the war between the rival leaders, President Salva Kiir and his current deputy, Riyak Machar, several schools were destroyed while others were occupied by the soldiers. UNHCR said millions of refugees have returned while others are waiting to be repatriated. The returnees will need basic services such as education and health. I am James Arusi, reporting from Juba. Many thanks from me, Winnie Serena, to the entire team of our reporters here in Juba and across South Sudan, as well as those spread all over refugee settlement areas in the north of Uganda. Thank you too for listening. Do join our weekly podcast program next week, sometime. I leave you with our drama on COVID-19. Take a listen. An intruder slips into a shell. To protect itself, the shell covers this irritation with minerals. 
layer after layer, a pearl is formed, glowing, luminous and shining. The pearl endures. For us, covering irritation with knowledge, awareness and kindness, it can turn into something beautiful. Welcome to the eighth episode of The Pearl, a weekly radio drama based on sharing information and guidance on COVID-19. Dive into the world of The Pearl. Brenda! Brenda, open the door before I kick it open. Ah. Oh no. Oh, she's back. Good. Is anyone in this house or not? Mom, I'm coming to open that door. Are you coming from abroad? How many hours does it take you to open that door? But, Mom. Why don't you stop drinking alcohol? Did you buy for me any booze? You have even hurt yourself? Did you fight? Or you just fell down? Keep your questions for yourself and give me food. Food is not yet ready. Food is not ready? And you are sitting here instead of being in the kitchen? Mom, I have just started reading. <sighs> Please allow me finish this topic, then I go to the kitchen. What were you doing all day long? Mom, I went to the garden at 7 a.m. and came back at 4 p.m. Uh-huh. I warmed the leftover food of yesterday and gave to the children. And you thought I did not have a stomach, so you had to finish for me food? But you always come very late in the night. I had planned to read at least a topic, then cook food. Are you the one who tells me to come back home? But mom, I'm also overworked in this home. What is your use in this house if you don't work? But this is unfair. Hey! Who said that life is meant to be fair? But when will this stupid COVID end? I want to go back to school and find some rest. Brenda, I'm hungry. Stop winding and give me food. There is even no salt in the house. I did not ask for salt. I asked for food. But mom, how do you expect me to cook food without salt? Ah! Ah! Now, why have you slapped me? Are you still cautioning me? <laughs> Should I bring my stick? I'm tired of living in this house. Find another mother since you see me as rubbish. Mom, I'm not saying that, but you need to change. You assure us with your drinking. You blame me for what I've not even done. Get out of my face before I flog you. How shall I pass exams without reading? You are dreaming about doing exams. Where will you get the fees? Mom, don't you think I'll be having fees by now if you're not drinking the way you are doing? <laughs> Who are you to talk to me like that? <laughs> Where are you going? Come back! Brenda, come back here! crying at this time of the night. <laughs> that must be Brenda. What could have happened to her? Why do you even ask? That must be her mother beating her. That woman has really traumatized her children. Eh, eh. Every day she's either quarreling with them or beating them. Is there any day that you have had people laughing in that house when she's around? This COVID period has not been good for the children at all. When she's around, the children are always in tears. 
I have never met a quarrelsome person in my life like that woman. If you are like that, I would have just left you in this house and started my own oh, life. Oh. <laughs> Where would you go? Yeah, I would find a way. Mm -mm. Yeah, living with that woman is like staying in a leaking house on a rainy day. Yeah, I sympathize with the children. With such kind of environment, how do you even find time to read? On a serious note, that woman needs help. But do you think it is easy to change someone's behavior at an old age like that? Like you said, that woman was not as brutal as she is these mm. days before the COVID outbreak. Yeah. Something must be wrong with her. What could that be? I cannot tell. But as neighbors, I think we should do something about it. Or else she will hurt the children. But what shall we do? I don't know. But we cannot continue keeping quiet while crime is being committed here. Do you know that if those children die, oh? we shall regret for not having done anything? You are right. We have to do something. Uh -uh. But what? There's a saying that one day people will not remember the loud noise of their enemies, mm. but the silence of their friends. We have to get time to talk to this woman. But do you think we have a solution to her problem? Uh, no, we might not have a solution to her problem, mm -hmm. but at least we can give her a listening ear to share her problem. A problem shared is half solved. Brenda, up to now these plates are not yet washed. But mom, I have only two hands. How many things do you want me to do at the same time? Didn't I tell you that no one should answer me when I talk? Okay, let me go. Hey, are you walking away from me? But mom, you said I should not answer you. What can I do? Useless! Good for nothing girl. Don't look at me like that. Please, can I now go? Useless children who only know how to eat. Please don't beat me again. I have not yet beaten you. Why are you shouting like that? What have I done in this world to deserve this? Keep quiet and wipe off those crocodile tears. Mama Brenda, it is me Samuel, your neighbor. Please open up for me the door. <laughs> Good morning, neighbor. Good morning. Uh, may we come in? Of course. Come, on. come in and feel comfortable. Brenda. Bring tea for our visitors. No, Brenda, don't bother. We are not visitors. How can your neighbors be visitors? <laughs> but you have not been visiting us. This is a special day for us. Uh, may we have a small talk with you? No problem. <laughs> Let me sit over there. <laughs> you know we have to keep social distance. With our masks on, we are safe. Mm. This pandemic has changed people's behavior. Mm. I don't know how many times I wash my hands in it. This disease has really made life complicated for people. Eh? I don't know if anyone in the world has suffered like me. You are not alone, my dear. Brenda, why are you sitting there like you are not seeing visitors? Go and bring tea. Mom, there is no sugar. If there is no sugar, at least bring drinking water. Uh, don't mind, Mama Brenda. Mm. We are okay. Ah, ah. How can you come to my house and go back without tasting anything? We have had breakfast already. Hey. Thank you. Okay, so what brings you to my house? <clears throat> uh, we are here to talk to you briefly. Uh-huh. Tell me. We are your neighbor, mm. but we have been concerned about what is taking place here. What do you mean? Uh, there has been a drastic change in your behavior during this COVID period. Mm. What is the problem? How has my behavior changed? Uh, 
up. Before the lockdown, there was happiness in your house. But of recent, huh, we have been hearing a lot of fighting between you and your children. I don't know the kind of children I have in my house. I have just a bunch of fools. Mama Brenda, you have very good children. Isn't something challenging you? Your behavior has changed over a few months ago. I don't know what is wrong, but I feel much stressed and I just want to be left alone. There's no way the neighbors like us can see what is taking place here in the neighborhood and we keep a blind eye. Hmm. What is exactly the problem? Ever since I lost my business, my life has not been the same. I mm. cannot explain what is happening in my life. That could be the source of the problem. Hey! My bar was my only source of livelihood. Mm -hmm. When it was closed, my life was closed with it. I'm such a moving dead body. Your life mm. cannot end like that, my dear. Mm -hmm. I wish you knew what goes into my mind every minute. Eh? My only help is alcohol. Mm. If I drink something, at least I find life. Ah, mm -hmm. That is not the way to go. Mm. The path you've chosen is destroying you together with your children. What do you mean? Mm. We have been hearing you fight with your children day and night, and this is not good. Hey, so you have come to teach me how to run my home? No, 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 no. It's not like that. So how mm. is it like? We have been in this area together for a long time, and seeing you waste away with your children mm. does not give us joy. Hmm? Hey, the violence your children are facing will not only affect them today mm -hmm. and at home. This will have a long-term negative impact on their mental well-being. Mm. Ah, what I do to my children, just teaching them to be responsible. If you don't believe what we are saying, you will prove it when the children go back to school and lose concentration and their performance drop in class. Mm. Mm, I have to confess that I have lost track of how to take care of the children. I have no money in my life. Money is scarce everywhere. Ah, at least it was easier when the children were at school as I didn't have to worry about feeding them. But since schools shut down, they are always at home and stressing me even more. It would be good if you work out a relationship between you and your children. But how can I do it? My children are very notorious. Certain small things like working together with mm -hmm. them in the garden can mm -hmm. be of help. Hey, you could also join us in the Mother's Union where we usually share ideas on how to cope during this COVID period. Hey, how can Mother's Union be of use to me? I must confess mm. that it has helped me a lot. I learned new skills and I also attend the counseling sessions on parenting. I know that this will help you a lot. Mm. Yeah. Thank you very much for thinking about me. I'll surely go with you for your next visit. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Pal. Everyone can stop the spread of COVID-19 by knowing the facts and sharing them with friends and family. In episode 8, we have learned that child abuse prevention and child protection during times of COVID-19 is very crucial. Parents may seek counseling and help in case they are distressed due to effects of COVID-19 and the lockdown. Don't forget to join us next week for yet another episode of The Pal. In case you missed parts of this episode or would like to listen to the dramas once again, please dial Airtel 161. You can also participate in our weekly WhatsApp quiz in regards to COVID-19 and win 20,000 mobile airtime with your correct answers. Simply write hi and send to 0759-895-135 to take the quiz. Terms and conditions apply.
The Pearl is produced by Media Incorporation and Transition, MICT, in collaboration with this radio station, a partner of the East Africa Radio Service, EAS. For more information, visit www.ears.ug. Thank you.